Hello, everybody. Welcome to MHTV. Really pleased to see you tonight. We've got a lot of guests and a really, really, really interesting topic to talk about. We're going to be talking about um, researching and, and using body-worn cameras in mental health services. So we'll come to our guests who have got loads to say and to share to you. But before we do that, let's go to Dave. And Dave can explain how you can join in tonight, because obviously it's something people have a lot of opinions about. And we'd love to hear what you think. Dave? Hi, uh, hi everyone. Uh, good evening. Uh, I'm after Nikki having COVID a few weeks ago. I'm the presenter with COVID tonight. So if I have any coughing fits, I'll try and put myself on mute. Uh, it's brilliant that you can join us. Uh, and hopefully, like Nikki said, we're going to have a really good discussion and debate about such an important issue. Uh, if you want to get involved with tonight's conversation, uh, there's a few ways you can do that. The first is on the Facebook live feed. Obviously, you're watching the video there. If you just go to one side, you'll see a place where you can write up your comments and your questions. Please do. The other option is over on Twitter. And all you need to do to make sure we see your tweets is to use the hashtag MHTV. And obviously, any questions, comments that we can bring in tonight, uh, we will do. But without further ado, straight back over to you, Nikki. Okay, so let's introduce our guests and then we'll actually get into what body-worn cameras are and things like that. So first of all, Lindsay, could you just say hello and tell people who you are? Hi, I'm Lindsay Bennett. I'm PMBA Manager at Northampton Chair Healthcare Foundation Trust. PMBA is the Prevention and Management of Violence and Aggression. Mental health nurse by background, been doing that for 35 years. <laughs> so yeah, I've spent all my time working in inpatient services, basically. And Jen and Jude, can you say hello? Let us know who you Hi. are. My name's Jenny. Um, I'm a mental health service user um, and I've been an inpatient and uh, a user of secondary services in Northamptonshire. Uh, and I'm Jude. Uh, I'm Jenny's wife, but I'm also a mental health service user myself. Uh, I'm also Jenny's carer. Jenny's my carer. So we kind of do a bit of vice versa in that. And uh, I've been using services for about 10 to 11 years uh, within Northamptonshire, both as an inpatient and as in secondary services as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for spending time with us tonight. We're very grateful to have you all. And Alan, absolutely welcome, welcome. Return, a repeat offender. <laughs> so please, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what body-worn cameras are? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Alan Simpson. I'm Professor of Mental Health Nursing at King's College London. Um, a qualified mental health nurse, uh, qualified even longer ago than Lindsay, um, back in the uh, early 80s. And um, yes, I've worked in inpatient care, but predominantly in community services. But I've been involved for about 20 years in research in inpatient services and how to make them safer uh, for, for patients, service users, carers and staff, of course. So I suppose um, body-worn cameras is, is part of that. It's, it's um, for those who haven't seen them, I suddenly realised this morning I should have brought one, but I'm home and I haven't got one. Um, they're small little cameras, uh, a bit like the ones the police wear, but smaller than those, which staff on wards can wear on their clothing. And, um, and they've got a little button you can switch them on to film for a short period of time. So they're not on all the time like the police ones are. And they've been introduced. Well, it's interesting why they've been introduced. And I think different people say slightly different things. Um, so ostensibly, they're a, a, a method of filming uh, incidents or potential incidents that are going on in wards with a view to trying to help uh, stop those incidents happening or de-escalating incidents to prevent violence and aggression, either between patients or between patients and staff. 
Um, and I think I say it's interesting about what the reason is, because sometimes you read it's about improving safety for patients. Sometimes it's very much more positive that it's about reducing assaults and aggression on staff. Um, and sometimes you see it's about collecting evidence to support uh, staff if they want to prosecute patients when they've been assaulted. Um, so I think there's slightly mixed pictures, overlapping pictures about their use, which it it's, makes it interesting. And I, I can say a little bit more about our research later on. But um, when we look at the use of body-worn cameras in other settings, the police have been using them since about 2005. Most police services in the UK now are using them. And they've been involved, used uh, by American police forces be beforehand. And theirs is very much about trying to reduce violent incidents uh, with citizens, uh, and but also sort of keeping a check on police officer behavior and trying to improve police officer behavior in relation to, to, um, to citizens. And I think what we uh, found looking at the literature is that perhaps mental health services have, got, have introduced cameras more in line with that approach. Whereas if you look in some other services, say physical health services, Body-worn cameras are being used, but more often in a sort of what seems a, a more ostensibly therapeutic or patient-focused way, um, which is about, is there some way we can use a camera to improve the way we assess people or make decisions about their care or document their care and so on and so forth. So it feels like a slightly different angle. Now, I just want to say one final thing on that. So I'm not saying that using cameras to hopefully reduce violence and aggression on wards is not therapeutic. It clearly is. If we can improve safety on wards, we can make them calmer, nicer places to be. That's better for the service user. It's better for their family and visitors. You don't want to worry about what's going on for people. And it's better for staff. So we know a significant proportion of mental health staff get assaulted, far more than in uh, general uh, nursing settings and it leads to people being off through sickness through injury and makes people fearful uh, we fail to retain people in our services and that has a knock-on effect of the quality of care that we can provide so it's a complex issue and I suppose that was what sparked my interest in it when I started to hear about cameras being used that this is a complex issue there are some strong voices against their use and there are other voices very much in favour of their use. And I, and I think we need to do more research to explore that, but I'll shut up or I'll talk for an hour. <laughs> Let's come to Jenny and Jude, because what's your experience of being on, on wards where body-worn cameras are being used? Um, for me, it was, a, it was very positive, actually, because mm. I, I was on Berrywood, in Berrywood Hospital when they got introduced. Um, and I think I'd been to a few meetings where they talked about the possibility of them, um, them coming into the hospital. And, and I think... Before that, I had quite a lot of anxiety around them being quite intrusive, um, about the sort of creating a, a power imbalance. Um, but that isn't actually what I experienced, which surprised me. In actual fact, it made me feel a lot safer. Um, and I think in the past, I have been subject to violence on wards. Um, and it is really difficult to sort of make complaints or about staff who, who who maybe haven't treated you as well as you would hope to be treated um, because you haven't got any evidence. And for me, in the back of my mind was, do you know what, if anything happens, I, I know that it's going to be on the camera. Um, so, um, and, and I think, I don't think body-wall cameras like can, can sort of fix anything, but um, certainly compared to sort of 10 years ago, 
um, when when I when I was assaulted. Um, there's been a lot of work done um, with Lindsay and her team, and and it's all, so I think it's about working hand in hand. You know, with things like co-production, personalisation of services, mm. being trauma informed. Um, so that 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 creates the real change. But body worn cameras can't come in first. I don't think. I think they need to come in after or with. You know, I don't know if that's yeah. I think, I think it's, it's because you were on the ward as the were introduced, and I was sort of I was in the position where I was coming in to visit you. I was your carer, and I was very mindful because the hospital can be a really stressful place, especially if the ward's quite volatile. Um, you can have quite a lot of quite unwell people in a very small environment, um, and you need to have the right staffing levels, and you need to have a lot of different things going on. And I think for me, having the cameras there just created a little bit of peace of mind so that I know if something did occur, it would be on that camera. And if it wasn't on that camera, I'd want to know why that wasn't occurring as well. So that it flags both ways in that sense. Um, so I, I also I was, I was involved in sort of the, the implementation, the thinking around it. And it's very much about how it was introduced. It's introduced as a range of measures when you're talking about it with staff. It was really important to have conversation and transparency and to have conversation and transparency with your service user group about what you're doing and why you're doing it as well. Mm. If you're going to use those cameras on wards with people, you need to explain to people why they're there, what they're for, and, and have that discussion and conversation continually. Mm. It's not about just introducing it and then leaving it as well. Mm. It's about sort of having a continued relationship and conversation with, are mm. they still okay to be used? Are we keep using them? Is it helpful? Are you having particular problems with it? It's about having lots of questions and keeping going. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a big sticky plaster to fix everything. <clears throat> Yeah, it sounds like the kind of talking side of it has been really important, you know. So, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you had consultations about body-worn cameras being used, and then obviously you would have conversations about being part of the research project. I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit about how that came about and how you found that. Um, I think it gave me a completely different sort of um, perspective, really, being part okay. of the um, research team, because I think it, it was done really well. When, when I was there, but I don't think that's the experience of everybody that I've talked to. Mm. Um, and so um, there are some really compelling and, and stories about about cameras being used like an oppressive kind of way. Um, and I think it's really important to listen to that and, and to try and figure out what why that is. And, um, and that sort of set me thinking about kind of what what was good about the cameras when I was there how what why did it work what why did it why did it feel safe why did it feel safe and why were because it surprised me as well and I feel a bit naive on the back of it really because I was thinking about the experience that we had and it seemed so very different to an experience a lot of other people had had and it made me wonder about the groundwork that went in around it um because I think sometimes they just kind of appeared and then people weren't part of that discussion and conversation um yeah and i think sometimes they're used just to check, like as a quick fix to try and change the culture and 
and I, I don't think that that's that's not really something that can be that can be done just by shoving a camera in, on the wards won't 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 do that I don't think absolutely um yeah. oh, so we've got so much to talk about I'm not how we're going to fit it in so we've got the sort of research side of it and then actually the debate about does it make things safer but before we get stuck into this can I, can we come to Lindsay so you've been involved in introducing and piloting body worn cameras can you tell us a little bit about how this came about how you got started uh, I think the first thing was, referring back to what Alan said, I'd seen some of the research that the police mm. go in about reductions in their use of force, reductions in complaints against the police, thinking, well, that that's interesting and that's certainly worth looking at. We also, um, we do a lot of work with West London High Secure Service and um, people there had been using cameras and they were talking about how beneficial it was to their training department to actually learn from some of the footage and making the teaching more relevant and, you know, just responding better to situations from the footage they'd seen. So that was really interesting. But then two things kind of really brought it home to me. I, I saw the CQC published a document, and I can't think for the life of me the name of it, but it was about using, using covert filming when you've got concerns about care providers. Mm -hmm. And obviously they were saying, if you've got a concern about your care provider, first thing, have a conversation and that's totally sensible. But if you still have concerns, if you want to put in a hidden camera, this is what you need to do. And I thought, would people coming into our services feel safer if they had an overt camera? You know, if, if people are feeling so scared about care that they want to film, or they have real concerns, and would it not be better to have a camera that everybody knows is there? Mm. And so that that was another point that made me think. Mm. And then the final bit was listening to uh, a young man that had been um, he's in our service. It was in our services, and he spoke of his experience of watching body worn camera footage. That mm. he found that helpful seeing the footage, and I thought, well, that's something I hadn't thought about. So the study that we did, and it was a really, really very basic study, was just would it be acceptable to our patients, to our staff, to have cameras in an acute setting? And, and that was the question we wanted to ask. We'd done a lot of work in the various service user groups, and we'd done a lot of work with our staff saying, what do you think? What do you think? And people were saying, yeah, I think it, it could be really useful. We did a little study and never in the million years did I expect the interest that that generated and have to say I was fairly shocked by it. And then lots of people suddenly contacted us. And going back to what Jen and Jude were saying, again, every, every, every trust that contacted us, I said, look at how we did it. You've got to talk to your patients. You've got to talk to your staff. You've got to have these discussions. It won't fix a problem. Some people saying, well, it just stops violence and aggression. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. My my absolute passion on this is I think we can be better at how we care for people by using footage. That That's why I think they can make our area safer because mm -hmm. staff can learn to help people better. Mm -hmm. And that for me, that's the most important driver. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like we're getting into the old safety debate now then. So let's do it. Let's just, I mean, I was going to go around it the other way, but I think now's the time. So do do you all, and I don't mind who answers, do you think it makes services safer to have body-worn cameras? Possibly. <laughs> you you are turned into a researcher. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 this is the point, and I know there's yeah. lots of projects going on, and we need, mm. you know, my, my view on it, it is pretty much irrelevant. Mm. 
it's my opinion. We need mm. evidence. We need to see if it, you know, if there's differences on how successful it is, on how mm. you use them, what's the ethos behind the culture of the trust or the organisation. Mm. What are you doing with the footage? And Alan mentioned it. You know, mm. if you're doing is trying to film so that you can send it to the police, you're not going to learn anything. Mm. What you need to learn is how how we can get better at doing our jobs. Mm. And I, yeah. I think there is that real concern. Oh, sorry, sorry. Lydia. No, no, no. I think there is that real concern about criminalising people with mental ill health. And I think, for me, that is a big worry. I, I, when it comes to the way that the filming is done and used and what it's for, and I think one of the things that I like about the cameras is the fact that you can hear the sound as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really useful because it gives you some context as to what's going on. But I do have worries around criminalisation of people who are very ill and that needs to not be the main focus for having the camera in my view it it, it, it scares me how quickly and easily um criminalization of mental health services is happening in other areas as well uh, certainly in management with police as well so i think that is it's a valid concern to have um and it's something that i i haven't made my mind up on either yeah I mean, anecdotally, um, I was kind of on the wards for sort of quite an extended period. I was on the wards for like nine months. Um, so when they were first introduced, you know, I, I was there. Uh, and it did seem, most of the time, it did seem to help. Mm. And I think what it did do was create a little bit of a sort of cue in my mind and in other service users' mind as well, I'm sure, that actually we could be filmed and that, you know, just be a bit more careful about what you say and what you do. And um, and also I think the uh, staff equally had that. You know, I think they were a little bit more careful about what they said and what they did, knowing that they, they may be more accountable for it, you know. Um, yeah. And I think, you know... That accountability cuts both ways. Yeah. And I think that's what people... And what I liked was that we were told if we wanted to ask for the um, cameras to be turned on if we weren't feeling safe or we didn't like the way we were being spoken to, we could do that. And having that little bit of control as well, um, it, it, I suppose it lessened that the power imbalance that, that could happen, I think. Um, I don't know if that's... Yeah, yeah that's really interesting. Anna, what do you think? Well, I, th I think Lindsay, June and Jen have mm. touched on many issues that are really, really important, not least that there isn't one way of using cameras and they're not all being used in exactly the same way by you know lots of different people or lots of different organizations and so as as lindsay absolutely rightly says we need a lot more research to get a better handle on in what circumstances for what people is this a good thing or good idea or might it be a good idea and in what situations is it probably not a good idea so the biggest body, we, we did um, a, a systematic review of the literature. There's, there's only two studies in mental health services, uh, which I'll come back to in a minute, including the one that Lindsay was involved with. Um, the biggest literature base is, is around research bases around in the police. So we did a systematic review, ended up including 52 studies, and I think 43 of those from the police, prison, or uh, security guards. Um, and um, and there's also another systematic review by someone called Cynthia Lum in the United States, uh, which is a very good quality systematic review. She looked at all the police evidence as well. And both she and we found that um, there is inconclusive evidence from the police uh, 
on whether the use of body-worn cameras change citizens' behaviours or change uh, police officers' behaviour. So there's okay. some indication there may be a slight reduction in violence against police, but it's not um, it's not strong. And some of that is about the design of studies. Some of it is that there are conflicting results in different studies. Similarly, when you look at things like um, uh, police behaviour towards uh, citizens, um, the, the the findings are mixed. So mm. we're not we're not sure. It looks as though it reduces uh, complaints against police officers um, on average. But the they we don't know the mechanism for that. So we don't know whether because they've got their cameras on, the police are acting differently and being less aggressive or abusive, or is it that the public are making fewer vexatious complaints because they know it's being filmed? We 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 don't know. So the overwhelming evidence from the police, where the majority of the research is, um, we cannot tell yet whether cameras are likely to reduce violence and aggression in mental health settings from what goes on elsewhere. So there have been two studies in mental health settings. The one Lindsay was involved with was Sheila Hardy, and then a slightly bigger one later on by, um, uh, is it Pete Ellis? And um, with, with more cameras and more wards. And I think it would be fair to say the evidence from those is mixed. So they've, had, they've used cameras on a range of different wards, different types of wards, and the results from those wards have been varied. So in some wards, it's, and I think there's probably the strongest evidence is that it looks as though um, it may reduce more serious incidents and the use of restraint and uh, the use of uh, intramuscular injections, but it, it may well lead to an increase in lower levels of um, violence and aggression. So verbal abuse, you know, kicking furniture, um, shouting at people, so, so on and so forth. But I would say it's fair to say at the moment, we don't know for sure. The evidence isn't anywhere near clear or strong enough, as Lindsay's touched on. And because of the, you know, these are relatively small um, feasibility pilot studies. And so no criticism of those people doing them. They've been done well, uh, and, but within the constraints of those budgets. And um, so there are limitations to the design. They're, they're not randomized truck controlled trials or cluster randomized controlled trials or whatever. Um, so, so we've got to carry a lot of caution with what we yeah. can do from, from that literature. And I just want to pick up one other bit that, that people have talked about, which was this informing training and staff learning from it, because I think that is potentially a really interesting area. It's also, though, perhaps the most complicated area and contentious area because it then involves people watching film of staff doing things with patients, very often when the patients are very distressed, very often very mentally unwell. And there's whole massive issues around consent, around people's capacity to give consent, about how people feel about the other people watching them in that state on, on film to benefit someone's training. So I think most places aren't doing that at all. I think most places from what I hear, and Lindsay can correct me on this, there may be one or two people like Lindsay would watch video and then would draw lessons from that to discuss with staff. So there's no question of everyone sitting around a room watching a video because it's a, this is a really contentious and complicated area. 
And I, for myself personally, or a family member, if I was highly distressed and in a psychotic state or something and admitted to a ward, I would hate the idea that I was going to be filmed and other people would all be sat around watching it. So the one area where I think it could be really beneficial <laughs> is also a really complex area to explore, and mm. which is why I think we need to do a lot of research to explore this a lot more. Mm, absolutely. Um, and you, you're right to say that it's it's a contentious issue. We've got lots of people commenting. So should we come to Dave and just see um, what some people are saying? Yeah, Nikki, uh, you'll be unsurprised to hear that my fingers are a bit sore now because I've been doing such a lot of tweeting and typing uh, and also screenshotting of really good points that have been raised. I think one of the really interesting things for me was uh, a comment that Anthony made uh, and that's on the CPHVA Facebook page, uh, saying there's no way we can be in favour of this. And I think it's interesting because that comment was made even before the episode started. So I don't know if maybe after tonight's episode, you might have a slightly different view. I think I was probably the same kind of thinking that when you first hear this, you probably do have a, an immediate reaction, don't you? And it's very much based on your own kind of experience your own kind of judgment on on how you think the world works but i think you know even just listening to the first kind of 20 minute conversation tonight you can hear about how complex it is and i think you've all done so well at kind of bringing those those comments in so quickly uh, so another comment uh, ben uh, has said that he thinks you know a really important topic thanks for doing this uh, and, and later asked the question does the panel think that body worn cameras a part of a broader agenda of underfunding the NHS and social care and of vandalising human rights. Uh, and I think it's interesting because uh, Catherine Gamble made that point in a, a Guardian article that kind of brought some of these issues together. You know, one of the dangers of body-worn cameras possibly is that it can just replace having enough staff. So I don't know if anyone's got any kind of thoughts about that. I think personally for me, this is an add-on. This is an extra tool. If it started replacing, I'd be really uncomfortable with that. And that wasn't when we did the study, the idea of it. Um, I think you absolutely have to have the right staffing level because if you don't, it can go badly wrong. And that is one of my big concerns. I'm not here to apologise for bad practice and sort of say it should be, a mental health ward should be well-staffed you shouldn't be withdrawing staff from that. And I think underfunding is a problem in services, and this is not a fix for that, uh, personally. Mm. Yeah, there's no reason that it would be, yeah, it wouldn't be helpful if it, if it was instead of people, I don't think, at any point. And I think in terms of human rights, I think it's very individual. I think I have personally suffered quite oppressive practice on mental health wards, where I've been really uncomfortable and I haven't had a leg to stand on afterwards to say I wasn't okay with this. You can sort of shout it into the wind and it doesn't get listened to. I think if you actually have the video footage where you say I wasn't okay with this and this is why I wasn't okay with this and I need somebody to look at that. But it is about having to trust, building a trusting relationship. Yeah. I trust that Lindsay, who reviews this footage, would see an incident like stuff that's happened to me and go, that shouldn't be happening, or that member of staff really needs to learn from this incident, yeah. or we could better support this person when they're in this state. What can we do as an immediate 
fix to care planning or, or to, to exactly. our in, safety planning and interaction with that person. So we don't get into that cycle because it can be quite cyclical. You can get into cycles where people, you get really locked in and really stuck, personally I do, in situations that are quite untenable and there isn't an exit route. And actually, by doing something differently with that person, by going away and thinking about it and going, what can we really do that's going to stop this becoming a massively difficult cycle for everybody involved? Yeah, and I think, it, yeah, it's about how, how can you know your patients better so that you can reduce, like, restrictive practice? How can you, how can you learn from, from things that haven't gone so well? Um, and I do think these are all really important, but I do take Alan's point on board that it's not straightforward in terms of consent because, yeah, I'm not sure I would want to be seen necessarily in a, in a difficult way. But also I would like, if something happened to me, I would like to be seen, yeah. you know what I mean? And that's the that's the catch-22 of it, really, yeah. I think. I was, I was um, when I first started to speak to people about the possibility of just doing research around this, I was at a meeting of mental health nurses, mental health nurse academics, and spoke mm. about it. And there was a real, uh, it's no exaggeration to say, real anger in the room about the idea of us using cameras. So within nursing, within mental health nurses, there are those who are saying, well, it could be useful and we, that may be beneficial and it may help us. But there are a large number of people who feel very strongly it's, it's not something that mental health nurses should be doing. Similarly with service users, there are service users who think well, it might help us feel safer on the wards. And there are other service users who think it's a grotesque idea to be filmed uh, when, you're in a, when, when you're in a hospital. And I've got sympathies with that. With that. Um, just, uh, just at the, we, we've, um, June, uh, Jen, uh, Jude, Jude and Jen, if I could get those words out of my mouth, and Lindsay have, have all been involved in a, a study we're doing at the minute, which uh, we've been interviewing service users and staff about their views and experiences of body-worn cameras. Got a great team of researchers who've been doing that. And we're just um, coding and analysing all the interviews at the moment. So I can't say you know, the, the main findings yet because it's too early, but I've been reading some of those transcripts and coding some this week. And, and it's very interesting that I would say... Uh, uh, one of the people on the team, Madeline, was saying to me that um, she felt, having heard a lot of the interviews, that there's an overwhelming feeling of people feeling unsafe on wards, and that's both service users and staff. And that's a very sad thing to have to say about our mental health services. Yeah. And so where I think it does touch on the issue of staffing levels, so I, I everyone I've spoken to, I've, I've spoken directors of nursing, very senior managers, People like Lindsay, very involved in the rollout of, of cameras. I hear it being done with a great deal of thought and sensitivity, a lot of com consultation with service users and a great deal of thought. And I don't see anyone um, deliberately saying, well, this will help us fill the gaps of not having enough staff. What I would say, though, is having read a lot of these interviews, I feel that there is an issue that we probably run our services on an absolutely basic level of staffing. And that's without um, the problems of retention and the vacancies we have. And that's without the COVID pandemic leading to more people being off sick and so on and so forth. And I, I, I think sometimes both for staff and service users, what we would like is more staff around, particularly nurses, 
who can be more proactive, more visible, mm-hmm. and 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 getting involved sooner and earlier with people, <laughs> sitting down and having conversations, noticing when things people are a bit agitated, spending time with them. And when you have a very stretched workforce, it yeah. is very very hard to do that and everything yeah. else you have to do. And and I think sometimes I wonder sometimes people are looking to cameras to to try and provide some way of having people around you and and seeing what's going on and maybe it's not quite the cameras that we need maybe it's people Uh, but as I say it's a very complicated issue Mm, absolutely there's tons more questions coming in so should we go back to Dave yeah I think this is going to be the worst example of feeling really frustrated that can't get as many questions in as are asked tonight but we've had a, a comment from Daniel is there enough evidence around how therapeutic body-worn cameras can be? No, there isn't. No. No, no. So, so at the moment, you know, there is some indication that they may help reduce more serious levels of violence on wards, but it's not at all certain. Um, the, the design of the studies that have been done does not tell us that, and only two small studies have been done. Um, there are other people piloting them. There's lots of trust using them and lots of people doing little evaluations. And um, the problem with that is it gives you indications. It doesn't give you really strong evidence. We need some big studies, um, trials I, I, ideally. Uh, and that is, in a, and I'm at the early stage of thinking, that is if we think this is something that's worth pursuing and exploring. And it may be that we discuss some of the other ethical issues around it and we end up going... Actually, I don't think this is a good direction of travel for us. You know, and I'm not saying it one way or the other. No. Uh, and Shadrach, uh, he's talked about his own experience. In my experience working in the prison service, it helps in evidence for both the prisoners and the officers. Uh, we've had a few comments from Jess that have kind of interspersed with other comments on the Facebook Live feed. Uh, and I just wanted to kind of paste three of them together. Uh, she said, I'm so uncomfortable about the potential for misuse Uh, with this I'm not convinced that the possible benefits outweigh that then goes on I'm also going to be open here and say that to someone with a history of paranoia this would absolutely be awful for me if I was unwell as it would make my paranoia that I'm being watched seem perfectly reasonable Uh, and then the, the last point I also can't help but feel that the idea we need to have cameras to keep people safe says something pretty negative about the state of mental health services. Uh, And I think kind of having read those three points, the thing that kind of jumped in my head and I was thinking again of before tonight's episode was the story in uh, the news in the last couple of days uh, where an academic, Dr Duff, uh, was given an apology and compensation by the Met Police after she did get CCTV evidence of showed how she was really sort of badly treated by officers a number of years ago. And without that evidence, she she wouldn't have been able to prove a case. Uh, and it is a, it's, as a healthcare professional, it's so depressing, isn't it, to be in that space where you're kind of thinking, we need this because patients need to be kept safe from us, from us healthcare professionals. So, you know, thanks, Jess, for those, those comments. They're hugely valuable. I don't know if anyone's got any kind of comments back to Jess about what she said. I think it would be great if if everybody was like really kind and things are really settled on wards and and that's how they felt all the time. But I think it, the reality is is that they can be a bit like a pressure cooker. They can have a lot of people with a lot of strong emotions and feelings and upset. 
uh, particularly when they're first on the ward. And, and, and that sometimes does come out in, in violence and aggression. Um, and, and for me, I'm worried about patient-to-patient -patient violence as well, um, it, you know, it, it gives me that little peace of mind that actually if somebody did hurt me, I'll never forget there was a, an, an old, older lady and um, every, they thought she couldn't use her hands. Um, so they were feeding her and everything like that. And she punched me when I was walking down the corridor. And then when I went to tell the nurse and stuff, they said, oh, no, no, she, she can't use her hands. Look, she's just punched me. Genuinely, she can. And it took until she actually punched a member of staff. Yeah. For them to kind of realise what what was going on, and, and 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 I think that's important that we kind of it is about patient to patient violence as well, about feeling safer around people who actually are really quite poorly, um, and earlier on in their recovery journey, you know. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. There was an example of that in one of the interviews I read, um, from from a, with a service user who spoke about something that happened and said they wish there had been a camera there to, to film it. But when, um, later on in interview, she makes it clear that when she spoke to the staff about the incident that they happened, the staff took it seriously and acted on it and, and, uh, and made sure that the person who'd assaulted them uh, was put under close observation to, to try and ensure that it didn't happen again. So, and I thought that was quite interesting. So the person was saying it would be good if there'd been a camera so we'd have the evidence. But actually, the staff acted on what the service users told them. Um, so uh, that's that's what brings me back all this time to thinking, is it more about, you know, that we need much greater investment in our mental health services, perhaps smaller units uh, with higher proportion of staff to, to service users? Because we're talking about acute inpatient wards predominantly here. And, and what we're talking about is the relatively small number of people who become so unwell and so distressed with their mental illness that they're unable to live safely at home or in their community, and they're admitted to a, an inpatient ward. And we use highly skilled staff to, to employ all sorts of different skills to help manage that situation and help the person make their first steps towards their recovery. It's, mm -hmm. it's a skillful very thoughtful, sensitively done job when it's done well. Mm. Um, but too often, we're asking too few people to, to do that and manage an awful lot of other demands. High throughput of patients uh, being discharged very swiftly. So lots of new patients coming onto the ward. Um, real challenges around keeping your, your staffing levels up. And I just mm. wonder if it's about other things, but what, what do you think, Lindsay? I think it's so much, the staffing is critical, the quality of the staff that you, you have. And again, going back to culture, yeah. that's what informs your organisation and it informs how, how your staff and patients interact. And, and that for me is critical. And I think, you know, I, I remember reading Brodie Patterson's paper about corrupted cultures and, and you can just see how these problems can evolve, uh, evolve and Going back to the safety point, I'm not trying to say that the cameras, having a camera is going to make everybody safer. And I certainly am not suggesting that we randomly show people footage. That, that it would be absolutely unacceptable. Yeah. But to show somebody who's been involved in that situation and for them to gain the insight that maybe they didn't help yeah. much as they meant to, and actually they were, their frustration or, or their distraction is apparent because if you can see it on the footage, then 
you you know the patient's picking up on that and that can then set up a whole chain of events mm. and i think to see that for yourself to learn for yourself is incredibly powerful mm. as somebody else saying well you shouldn't have said this or you shouldn't have done that actually seeing it and realizing yourself that actually i was really closed off when i was stood there having three or four staff standing close round probably escalated the whole situation yep. you can see it when you watch the footage you, yep. you know people are watching themselves they can learn themselves and I think that's the powerful bit for me is, is we can get better at doing our jobs, at helping people. It's not about yeah. a camera. Years ago, I did a, a counselling qualification and right from the word go, we used to do counselling and it was in front of people and you get feedback from other people and we would do it filmed and we'd, get, and we'd watch the film and, and, and get feedback on it and you'd see yourself doing it. And I used to sit there thinking, as I'm, I was a qualified mental health nurse then working clinically i used to think we never do this as nurses and we and i think huge benefits huge huge possibilities of learning from how we act just getting feedback about alan do you know when you're nervous you smile and that can send the wrong message to someone like you're not taking them seriously or whatever because you're a little bit nervous inside and you you give these little giveaway tells you know and it's like learning that's so important and what you do with your hands and if you're all closed up and tense or are you relaxed and yeah could you could you do that using case studies though rather than and sort of like sort of drama kind of workshoppy things rather than using people's real experiences yes yeah i mean we 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 actually do do some work with Lindsay as part of the pmba team we do do like put people through situations and try and get them to practice um kind of soft skills um Using professional calm, de-escalation mm. skills, um, mm. making uh, physical intervention feel physically um, emotionally safe as well as physically safe. Mm. Uh, so you can do that, but I, still, I mean, I used to be a teacher, and we were filmed as well as part of a part mm. of our training. Mm. And it's nothing worse than kind of seeing yourself, and you really know. Then do you know? Mm. I really knew Definitely. when I messed up. <laughs> you know. We've got loads more oh, questions yeah. coming in as well. <laughs> I have one more bash at asking the questions, and then I think we're just going to have to cycle back to them over the next 24 hours or something like that. Um, first one is for Vanessa. Hello, Vanessa. Oh. <laughs> um, restrictive practice is at the heart of the issue. There shouldn't be a blanket approach. There should only, if at all, be used in uh, very specific high-risk situations. But I also don't necessarily think that um, body-worn cameras are necessarily the right situation where patient safety issues are concerned. Um, Jess has said, I agree with Alan here, listening, it feels like cameras being used to make up for a lack of funding um, and a less than grade culture and mental health services that needs to be addressed. Thank you for that very kind way of putting um, substandard care. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> that's, that's lovely of you. Um, ben has said, um, government clear on their uh, agenda of innovation and, and efficiency for the NHS to each their own. Um, but can't we see, but we can't see in a body-worn cameras as an innovation in, a, in isolation is part of a broader collapse of human rights, which is really interesting because absolutely this is part of a societal issue, isn't it, with CCTV, yeah. all those other issues as well. The fact that we record ourselves constantly, there's lots of different things at play. So Ben's right to give us a context there. Um, and Daniel Beglin says, um, would more staff help in the instance that we're able to witness rather than fall on the use of cameras? And that's quite a complicated one, isn't it? Because if you have a system, as Lindsay's pointed out, that's not functioning, then if everyone is involved in that situation is not functioning in a, in a caring way, then it doesn't matter how many people are stood there. And, it's, and I think one of the things that's come out so complicated about this is 
these situations can often be very frightening for everybody involved. Yes. People remember things differently. And when your adrenaline is going, whatever part you're taking in this interaction, it's frightening. It's upsetting. Yes. It's scary. And everybody is disappointed at the end of it. And everybody is is hurt and, in different ways. And, and, and I certainly am... am I, I'm, I don't want to at all dismiss any service users' concerns about needing mm. to feel safe on a hospital. I think it's absolutely mm. paramount. Mm. Equally, I don't want to dismiss how difficult and challenging it can be to be a mental health nurse working on a mental health ward, and that many, many nurses do great, mm. great work. Mm. You know, and I, I have the luxury of you know sat in front of a computer most of my life, and I don't have to do that very difficult work anymore. And many, many people I know do that incredibly well. Mm. Uh, but we we can do it better. And and I mm. suppose I've got a lot of sympathy that we ask people to work in very complex environments. Um, I, and I would argue without adequate support, without adequate yes. time for supervision, for yeah. updating, for doing bits of research, mm. or, you know, perhaps watching some video of you interacting with someone and thinking about how you might do it better. But it also makes me think about things like we've got things like safe wards, which, you know, it, it's made up of 10 interventions, which are largely about how do we as staff improve the way we interact with people, how we how we communicate information, how we work collaboratively with service users and so on. And um, so there, there is stuff out there, but whether or not we give our teams enough space and time and support to nurture and develop those skills is another issue. I guess one last question to think about. So um, uh, service users can think that body-worn cameras are intrusive and staff too, <laughs> um, and can be upsetting or triggering um, for people with certain conditions and traumatic life experiences, which is something that's been brought up. Do you guys have any thoughts about that? Is it a, one of the reasons we shouldn't do it or are there things that we can do to facilitate that being less distressing for people? What are your thoughts on that? That go to anybody. For me, um, because of the, the sort of the systemic like trauma that I had experienced, it kind of worked the other way. It, mm -hmm. it actually did make me feel safer. And, you know, um, yeah, it was, I think it, also it's worth bearing in mind that these body-worn cameras aren't the only cameras that are on those wards. There are CCTV in those communal areas that we haven't had a discussion about. Um, and that is something that, that, that goes on within the hospital, there is CCTV. And there are all the time CCTV, so you could argue that it's less intrusive to have it just as and when it's required, um, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, and I think in terms of when it comes to funding, I think there is a much bigger question about how people are supported in community, because people are coming into a hospital um, much poorer than they perhaps would have gotten if there had been more community support out there for them. Mm. Um, and I think I think that's a problem in itself. I think there are lots of different problems that need separating out. I think a camera is a tool to possibly look at some of harm reduction, um, but the, it certainly it will not fix the systemic problem with there being not enough funding for community services, not enough room for staff to make changes to their practice or to look at and value those who do it well, actually, and yeah. look at the people that, it's not necessarily about looking at people going, oh, you did this wrong. If you can see somebody doing it well, and that person has perhaps given consent for that to be used in training at a point when they are well, 
Yeah. Um, I think that's something that can be looked at as well. Very well said. If anyone else wants to add to that um, idea, or should we go around and the, 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 push the, the, the triggering issue is, is has been raised by many service users with us, but also staff. I read an interview just this afternoon. Mm. The staff was talking about it and was saying that he felt that for people who were particularly paranoid, suspicious, it might make things worse. But there was also an interesting one that on female wards, he said quite often uh, when um, women are very mentally distressed, they're more likely to strip off. And so he felt um, very unsure about the idea of having cameras in such a setting for that reason. So it was showing a great deal of sensitivity, I thought. Um, for for the service user and saying I, I don't think we should be using them in those settings, so it, it's it's a really complex area. Isn't it? You guys have really picked a topic, haven't you? <laughs> so let's go around and, and and see if there's any last points anyone wants to make. So I'll come to to Lindsay first. Is there anything that you wanted to to leave people thinking about or resources to point people towards? Anything like that? I would just say with the cameras, they're not a magic fix for anything. It's about working collaboratively. Mm -hmm. Co-produce what you're doing. If we want yeah. to have therapeutic environments, we kind of ask the patients. Yeah. Because I mean, you listen to Jen and Jude, and I'm always so so inspired. And mm -hmm. they teach on our courses, and they change people's minds. They open their eyes, and I just think we need to do more of that, and not the tick box stuff that you sometimes see. It's actually genuinely working together. That's how we make a difference. And I think cameras may help a little bit. More research needed, but work with your service users yeah for, for me my last sort of thought is, is is it's just about being kind can we just be kind can we just do that together and i think that that just changes everything if you can do that and that's yeah. the, you know the big thing because can be very scary places mental health wards and um but if you're nice to each other and you and you care about the people who are in your care um and you, you want to learn about them you're inquisitive and you know, want to the best for them and em empathetic and all of those things that we know work so well, you can make you can make a massive difference to that person's stay that a simply a camera will not will not provide. No. I just want to echo uh, Lindsay and Jen because um, that issue of collaboration, I mean, everything I hear about the way Lindsay works uh, and the way they the cameras have been introduced there, it's all been about conversations and collaboration. Mm -hmm. And and that's why people are speaking about it in, in a much more positive light. And mm -hmm. um, all of our research is, is collaborative with service users and Jen and Jude are involved in that. And we've got mm -hmm. people with lived experience on the research team. And and I think that is the absolute secret to all this. It's, it's about having dialogue, having conversations, bringing mm. nurses, service users, carers and others together mm. and, and trying to find the best solutions to these you know, real serious problems that we face. Mm. Dude, did you want to say anything? Oh, you don't have to. <laughs> I feel like I've talked laws and I didn't mean to, so I apologise if I've talked to anybody. I just get excited because I want to, I think, I think it's understanding that change is needed to move forward. I think it's change is good, and also change is going to happen whether we want it to or not. Mm. So it's about what we do with the technology as it advances, what technology means on mental health wards and what's its place. Mm. I think there's a broader conversation about that and how that's going to develop because there are other technologies that could possibly be intrusive that are going to, uh, that, are, that are showing up as well. So I think we need to have an open and even ethical debate about what we're 
what, what are we okay to have? What are we not okay to have? And I think it needs to be in there needs to be room for nuanced conversation. There's no point in having a room full of people who are just like shouting at each other. I think we need to listen to each other really carefully. Yeah. And that's the thing I've learned from this study probably the most is, is that you know I had a certain experience, but it's really important the, the validity of other people's experiences as well and, and really listening to them and, and being curious. Yeah. Dave, did you want to add anything? I did, yeah. I, I suppose it's been such a good conversation, mm. so so good to listen to it. Mm. Uh, I think one of the nice things for me is Alan will remember before COVID, uh, we had a, a, a meeting in his office where I did some recording for a podcast that I wanted to do about body-worn cameras. Uh, and I'm so frustrated the way that I didn't manage to get that sort of that information out at the time because I was hoping to get a few more people contribute to that conversation and make it a much rounder kind of conversation. What's absolutely lovely is over two years later, we're now having that conversation on MHTV. Uh, and I'm sure Alan will agree, our conversation was amazing. But, you know, having the, the input of, of colleagues around this sort of virtual room tonight has been so much better and so much stronger. So it's, it's been so nice uh, for that. And, and I think, like I said earlier, it's, it's, it's sort of interesting myself thinking about how my views have changed as well, uh, you know, as a health professional and, and kind of listening to other people's views and, and trying to sort of, you know, draw them out. So, so that's been great. The other thing that I wanted to say as well is Alan's got a great skill of surrounding himself with great people. Uh, and Unify is one of those people who's done a huge amount to get tonight's episode to happen. So even though she's not on screen tonight, I know she's been on Facebook uh, feverishly uh, messaging when people have asked for papers and stuff, uh, but she's very much been in the background. So thanks, Uni, you've done an amazing job. Uh, and Nikki, before we go, we need to tell everyone about how MHTV night is changing. So I'll leave that one for you to say. Um, yeah, we're moving to Thursdays. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the I feel like I undersold that. <laughs> But um, yeah, so we use, we obviously we normally Wednesdays, but we meet same time, but on Thursdays from from now on. Um, and I guess what tonight has really shown us is is just the real value of talking, talking, talking. It's so important. And I'd love it if you guys, when you've got your research a little bit further progressed, you, you've 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 got you know findings and things like that, to actually come back and talk about how that process went, because what the only way we're going to get better in services if we all work together to figure out how to solve the problems that we've got and and be able to research and, and understand really logically what to do next because i think we've all got the same heart isn't it nobody wants to be cared for or working in a violent place yeah. nobody nobody wants that we've got it and it's all set up to be so polarizing isn't it you're a service user or you're a carer or you're this or you're that none of that stuff is relevant everybody comes into this area because we we want people to flourish and to recover yeah. and to do well yeah. And I think that is one another concern about cameras, that it mm. perhaps adds to that sense of othering, that we are going to film you. Yeah. And uh, that's not a great way forward. So I, I just want to thank Dave for thanking Una. It's been fantastic. And I know she's been behind the scenes supporting Jude and Jen and, and Lindsay before this. Uh, great support to me. And just a big heads up to Kieran and Maddie, who've been, uh, and Ellie, who've been uh, running the study. And we've got another one starting very, very soon. They've been fantastic. And I know they would love to come and talk about our results. Absolutely. Absolutely. So good night all. And thank you so much for watching and being part of it. The discussion is very much appreciated. Thank you. Yeah, night -night. Thanks for having us. Bye. 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 Bye.